0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're discussing artificial intelligence, and in particular, plans announced by the UK government to develop an AI strategy to be published in the autumn. This follows on from the advisory body, the AI Council, publishing an AI roadmap earlier this year. With me to discuss this is Professor Dame Wendy Hall, Regius Professor of Computer Science at the University of Southampton, a member of the AI Council and the UK's AI Skills Champion. Professor Hall, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me to do this.
0: So before we dive into what might be in the future AI strategy, can you set the scene for us a little bit where the UK is at the moment in terms of its research and in terms of its commercialization and previous work that's been done in this area?
1: Yes, so we actually developed um, the first strategy as part of the AI review that um, uh, Jerome Pesenti and I were asked to do by Theresa May in 2017. And if you remember, that was just after the Brexit referendum. So I think the government were looking for something interesting to do. But actually, more seriously, um, it was a time when the World Economic Forum had just published the book about the fourth industrial revolution. And There was also another book out by Kai-Fu Lee, which was talking about how the US and China were superpowers in AI and, you know, nobody else was going to be able to play in this game. And the UK has a fabulous legacy in AI, particularly in terms of research. I mean, Turing, after all, was British. And, you know, we have what four universities in the top 10 in the world and all of our top universities have very good AI areas usually part of computer science sometimes part of mathematics or philosophy but you know we have this legacy we also have a very good startup legacy you know we used to have the statistic that we have we had uh, twice as many ai startups as the rest of europe put together that's what we used to talk about in 2017 when we were talking about the review and the key thing that we we were talking about in the review was how do we stay at that level how do what do we need to invest in To keep ourselves at that level in terms of and then use that investment to help industry become more effective and to uh, by the adoption of AI, you know, to solve some of the big challenges and, and to look at the ethical and regulatory issues and be world leaders in that. So that was, that was what, you know, the, the, the first review was about. And it was accepted uh, by the government. Greg Clark was the Secretary of State for Bays at the time. It became part of the industrial strategy. And then we had a sector deal in 2018, which was when the Office for AI was set up. And, you know, we, they then began to implement the, 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 the ideas that we'd put into the review. And we decided in, well, 2019 that we needed a refresh uh, this is the, the AI Council and because this, you know, it moves so quickly that you can't say it's done, finished. It's all, all, all constantly evolving and constantly moving targets. So we worked on our roadmap last year, 2020, and that was published and accepted by the government. And on the back of that, um, in March this year, it was announced that there would be a new AI strategy that will move, move us forward.
0: Let's dive into that roadmap that was published in January, that the work of the AI Council had a number of recommendations in it that the council is suggesting are going to move forward into the AI strategy. The first set of recommendations was around research, development, innovation and funding. What were the, the key things that the AI Council were keen to see?
1: Well, the most important thing was that we continue funding in this area. And um, we had a considerable amount of money going to AI in from the first review. And we need what we had to say to governments was again, you cannot take your foot off the pedal. You've got to keep going with this. We have to keep funding research and innovation. It can't all come from the industry. There has to be public success investment in this. Again, um, you know, that's we're all going to be looking for that in the CSR. The second one was about the Alan Turing Institute. In the first review, we named the Alan Turing Institute as the National Institute for AI as well as data science. And we feel very strongly on the council that we need to see that through. You know, we need the Alan Turing Institute needs to be properly funded and sustainably funded for the future so that we do have a um, truly world-leading national institute that is, is more than a university could be. The whole point of having a national institute is it's more than one single university can do. So it's what does a national institute do that a, a single university can't do? But we absolutely, you know, endorsed our initial recommendation. And the third one was there was a lot of talk at the time about moonshots. And we basically said any moonshot we develop is going to use AI. And so, you know, we have to think about how AI will be used to to support any big major moonshot type programs like the whole net zero carbon emission uh, struggle. And if we're going to develop a UK digital twin program or those sorts of grand challenges, you have to think about AI. And we, we want to make sure that as a country, we aren't just using other people's AI technology, right? We absolutely need the scientific workforce to develop our own and be world leaders in that, as well as, of course, using the technologies that will come out of the superpowers.
0: No, really interesting. The second set of things in that AI roadmap are focused on skills. And of course, uh, you mentioned skills earlier and you are the AI skills champion. Do we have the skills that we need in this area? And, And if we don't, how do we get them? Well, the the short answer—is no. Nobody does. Even
1: if you talk to people in the U.S. and China, they—they they don't either. There is a huge skills gap, and that's going to get bigger. So again, we were saying to government, you got to keep the, your foot on the on the pedal here, right? You cannot think that having funded a, a fellowship program and a PhD program and a, a master's program that that's enough, right? This has to be ongoing, and we have to do more of it. So in in the roadmap, and we're working on this now, obviously, this is forefront of my mind in terms of uh, getting it, doing the consultations for the new strategy. We talked about an ongoing 10 year program, not two or three years, but a commitment to a 10 year program for funding at the higher education level and FE courses and keep on building the, the pipeline. And I, I would also, and what I love to say about this one is that it takes a long time to grow an AI professor. It's a bit, you know, like, a, like a, a consultant in a hospital. You don't produce them overnight. And every PhD student that you fund or master's student that you fund needs teaching and needs supervision. And one of the problems we have at the moment is, we, we lose our best people to you know quite rightly to industry industry can attract them and uh but either both here and overseas and you know what's to stop them going and we we need a healthy pipeline and we need to develop programs where people can go out into industry and then come back again right much more easily than they can today in today's sort of ref-oriented, uh ref oriented academic climate so It's all about nurturing talent for the future at all levels. As part of that, something that I'm passionate about, and you know this, is diversity. And for 30 years, I've been talking about lack of women in computing. It's even worse in AI for two reasons. One, we really need diverse teams in AI because of the issues of bias and fairness and the more diverse your team is, not just in gender terms, but across the board in terms of ethnicity and race and age and disability and, you know, all the cultural background. The, the less diverse your team is, the more the more chance there is that that, that you'll be developing bias systems, very biased. I mean, all systems are biased in some way. And we have to check all the time, but uh, to be fair and biased and So I put that, I put diversity into the ethical framework category and basically say, if it's not diverse, then it's not ethical. I'm trying to raise the awareness of it. And we have to do something. There was a a report came out from the Turing Institute just a month ago with the evidence, the data that shows uh, the gender gap in the area of AI skills is bigger than we thought. It's worse than we thought. And you can see what happens. You've got a very a narrow pipeline of the sorts of people going into ai because they think it's all about coding and programming and so your pipeline is narrowing and narrowing as you get into ai it's such a big problem and we've got to actually do something about it so uh, what's did, the
0: solution what's the solution
1: Wendy? just going to come on to not the solution i mean you know gavin you know me a long time and you know i've talked about this if, if i knew the answer uh, you know we'd have done it years ago and and, and it isn't easy. We don't seem to be shifting the dial at all. It's getting worse, not better. So we have to do something practical. So potentially it's money that talks. I mean, you know, other countries have tried paying women for women to do computing or engineering, and it worked. But we've got to be careful of the, of the laws of equal opportunity, clearly. Somebody came up with a really good idea. In the review, we said the first review, we suggested that we... Uh, the government fund or what we called MSC conversion courses that took people from a, a non STEM background, so not necessarily maths or computer scientists or even STEM, and convert you know put on an MSC course to convert them to the world of AI. Not necessarily to become you know extreme coders, but generally to be able to work comfortably in that world in all the different careers that are going to to flourish in this new world someone came up with a bright idea of constraining the funding. So basically the funding is for scholarships for people to do these courses. And the rule is that 50% of the scholarships have to go to underrepresented groups. And they took made the, the main targets for the first round of funding, women and fame. And it's been hugely successful. Of course, people are looking for free scholarships to do masters and AI it might be a good thing to do. But the fact that of those scholarships have to go to the underrepresented groups so it means it's fair because there's still another 50% of scholarships that anyone can apply for but you're really targeting the underrepresented groups and so the sort of thing I want to do with the new strategy is to make that work across the board so just what we're looking to do is make sure everything that we fund has a, has a diversity targets or envelope under which certain conditions have have to be fulfilled for the funding to be made available. That just forces people to really think about the problem. And and as I said, it's sort of money talks. You know, you say to people, we can here, you can have a scholarship to do this. You can go on this work experience. The third thing under skills, which again I'm really passionate about, is opening it up beyond higher education we want to we're working with the department of education to make sure that we we look at how um ai is being taught in schools thinking about teacher training and also an on uh, an, an academy for everyone basically so it could be online courses local courses you know courses run by not by local government but in the regions so maybe coordinated by local government to make sure that whoever you are whatever your background and your set of skills you can go on a course that takes you up a scaffold that gets you a job in AI. That's the ambition.
0: <laughs> it, and it sounds great if we can pull it off. I want to bring you away from skills just briefly because we can talk about yeah. that all day. Within AI in general, there is an issue of trust. There is an issue of public trust in new technologies, uh, particularly technologies that are then going to be widely deployed in society. Where do you think we are? What do you think the issues are? What needs to be done?
1: Well, it's a big issue and we have to take it many small steps at a time. But the UK is looked at as an a example of a country where, where we, we are leaders in, in the idea of fair and trustworthy systems. It doesn't mean we have all the answers. And, you know, we're talking on a day when the EU's just released their draft AI regulations, which is a very typical EU approach to the world, which is let's regulate and then see how the system falls out under that, as they've done with GDPR. I think it's too difficult to do that for AI. I think we can take the approach more like we've done in the financial sector where we've led the world in terms of running financial systems, banking systems and trust in our banks. Now, I know things have gone wrong along the time and there was the crash, and but generally speaking, we put our money into banks And we trust them to look after it for us. And there are all sorts of checks and balances and there are checks and balances on companies in terms of auditing finances to make sure people aren't being corrupt and, you know, using the money improperly or illegally. And I think we will develop that sort of system in the UK because we're good at it. Obviously, some things you've got to regulate and some things have got to be crimes. You know, I I think about um, the example of deep fakes, which is when you put someone else's face on a video. Now, there are some terrible examples of that's going on and the technology is going to make it so easy for anyone to do. It just seems to me that you shouldn't have to worry about whether you regulate that. You should if you if you use someone else's image, you know, without their permission, it's a crime you should be if you're found you should be you shouldn't hesitate to set those things up with due consultation but uh, let me just say one other thing in terms of trust you know that a lot of this will be um used in the health service and it's so important that we have trust there but just think of what the example i give often is the remember the a level results debacle last year
0: it's hard not to
1: (laughs) were your were your children involved no GCSE, not A-level. Ah, Yeah, well, it's terribly difficult what's going to happen. But, you know, that A-level algorithm, politicians are saying, oh, the algorithm was wrong. And actually, the algorithm did what it was designed to do. The design was flawed and it was tested on the wrong data. It was tested on the previous year results, which come out of a normal system. So what went wrong was not actually the algorithm. It was the the whole approach to the project and, the, and they, they made it very open what they were doing, but it's thinking through the social consequences of what the algorithm was designed to do and not picking up in advance that they were gonna be disastrous. We have to develop systems where you've got people who are trained to check for bias and fairness in both the data and in the algorithms. Um, there's new careers here, as I said. Uh, so I think those are the sorts of ways. It's going to be a mix of auditing, you know, people who are trained to check um, for fairness and bias, and uh, and regulation and uh, the, using the arm of the law where necessary.
0: And there are ethical issues in some of these technologies potentially oh yes and you mentioned the arm of law interestingly the law is one of those areas where potentially ai is something that they can use and they can use to great effect possibly in order to for example protect people and protect property but things like facial recognition technology have other implications and how do we get the the conversation right with people and with the community to take people with us on this
1: I think actually you've hit the nail on the head. It has to be a conversation. You know, I I want to be protected when i walk down the street at night or go well, i can't remember the last time i did that i haven't been out for a year but anyway <laughs> when i you know when you go and get your car park car from a car park late at night i like the fact there's a cctv camera there right it makes me feel safer but on the but also the idea that my face could be picked up as a criminal just because i'm walking down the street because the system's got it wrong uh, and the consequence of that are terrifying and so um, of course the systems will the ai will get things wrong and again it's about checking for the the fairness and the bias but also making sure there's always a human in the loop and also having the regulation that says what the organizations like the police forces the security services government departments can and can't do with that data is so important and we're going to see it play out in the whole covid passport certificate if we want freedom we are going to have to give up some data to the government. And that is a two-way thing. And there has to be trust on both sides.
0: Another topic we could dive into for a long time. I did want to test you on one issue, which was the international side of some of this and the international side of regulating AI. And of course, a lot of these technologies are ones that can easily move across borders. Some of these things are national decisions. But what's the process, I guess, for coming up with international agreements in this kind of area. And how how is it going? How are we doing? I think that's above my pay, Greg.
1: There are clearly departments in government that negotiate those things on a regular basis. And they're doing it at the moment with the in order to get us traveling on air, you know, airplanes again. I don't get deeply into that work and I'm not an expert in it. But I think again, I'll come back to we will see this play out with the COVID passports that's not directly AI, but it is about the data, which could then be used for AI. And that's the point, isn't it? It's who's collecting the data, what are they allowed to do with it? Now, in terms of international, I was talking about this earlier with some people about data sharing, because you know I've got a lot into the whole issue of how you share data sets in order to do research across more than one data set. And we want to be able to do that internationally. And clearly the police forces, the international crime, the security services, they want to be able to do that too. And there are several issues. One is, of course, the checks and balances to make sure that people's human rights are protected but also there's the issue of interoperability. And it's not just, there's technical interoperability, but there's also cultural interoperability as well. Mm -hmm. And and I've just written a book called Four Internets. It's with Kieran O'Hara on how the internet is evolving differently in different cultures. It's about the potential geopolitical fragmentation of the internet, because it's evolving, as I say, differently in different cultures. And you can't assume that other people's values and, and issues around trust are the same in different countries. Okay. And we know that, you know, obviously. There's no obvious examples about it. But it, it's going to be very important that, that our governments, you know, are discussing these things at the top tables. And I think, you know, they're beginning, things like the G7, they're beginning to discuss it. Okay. And there is something called the Global Partnership on AI, which has come out of UNESCO, the UK is very much part of it. Um, most of the big countries you know that have anything to do with AI are part of it, but not China. And you know China's always the elephant in the room because they are one of the AI superpowers and they're doing amazing work. And it's feel like you can't do you can't solve the climate issues without having China there. It's the same with this world too. You just can't tackle it without having one of the major players in the room. So we have to learn to um, what we can agree on and what we disagree on and work out
0: our way around that. So let me just ask you to put a positive hat on. Think about what the UK might get right over the next few years. And in this fantastic future that we're going to imagine just for a moment, where would AI technologies have taken us and problems that have solved and so on, say in five years from now?
1: Well, I do have a positive hat anyway in this area because whilst you, you know, it's very easy to quickly get down the, oh, those are the ethical issues and the trust issues. The technology is amazing or the possibilities that the technology affords are amazing. Drug discovery. I mean, look what's happened in COVID. I know it's like in wartime, you do things faster than you would. And probably there were a few rules bent about data during COVID, but, you know, we will have during COVID develop a lot of new technology, use of AI to analyze data very quickly. And we'll, we'll be able to make great use of that in terms of drug, dis, drug discovery, new forms of um, advancing the, techn- the, the technology across health generally. And it could save the NHS a lot of money. When we did the first review, that was Theresa May's top target was how can we how can we reduce costs in the NHS and improve efficiency and effectiveness and a better diagnosis. And, and, you know, I think that will be a top target, you know, with the prime minister talking about emissions. I think AI can be applied very positively in terms of very quickly analysing data to work out what are the best things to do to reduce carbon emissions do the simulations. You need AI for that. So I, those are just two off the top of my head that, you know I think we will use very positively in the future.
0: Interesting stuff. And we'll have to see over the next five years how all of that develops. That's all we've got time for. But uh, Professor Wendy Hall, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Gavin. It's a pleasure as ever.
0: You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Dame Wendy Hall, Regis Professor of Computer Science at the University of Southampton and a member of the AI Council. You can find more details about the work of the Foundation for Science and Technology, all our events, our blogs and all previous editions of this podcast on our website at www.foundation.org.uk.